Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Erin here and I'm with a guest, Dr. Kristen Zames of Oceanside Physical Therapy in Stratum, New Hampshire. Kristen is one of, hi. Kristen is one of my favorite local people. She is the type of person that when she speaks, I always listen. Um, She's really up on the latest research and so she's a, a wealth of knowledge and I'm always learning from her. So I'm really excited to have her on the show and for you guys to get a chance to to listen to her, and I'm going to introduce you in a moment, Kristen, but first I want to explain how I even came to know you in the first place. Um, you guys all listening know, probably know by now, that I have an autoimmune disease called scleroderma. When I was first diagnosed, my doctor put me on a medication called Plaquenil, and he was like, this is something that you'll have to take for the rest of your life, or you could die pretty much. He's like, this will help your joint pain, and this will make all your problems go away. It was very fear-based medicine. Um, so of course I started taking it because I didn't want to die. And I was, I stayed on it for about a year and I, then I started wondering, you know, is this medication really doing anything? So I just went off of it and I felt the same exact way. And when I told him that he thought it was kind of strange that I still had the joint pain and he's like, you know what? I don't think the joint pain's coming from the scleroderma. I think you have joint hypermobility syndrome. So I had like a brand new diagnosis slapped on me. And in some ways, it was a huge relief because I was like, okay, so the pain isn't from my body attacking itself, which is good news. But in in some ways, it was really overwhelming and confusing because I was like, all right, I got to relearn how to use my body. And so exercise became this scary thing where I was like, well, I can't do yoga because it's going to cause pain. And I can't do that because it's going to cause pain. So there was a lot of anxiety with it. Um, And so I didn't know anything about physical therapy. I've never been to a PT before, but I did know Emily Lerner. She used to take yoga with me and um, she's part of Kristen's practice over at Oceanside. So I didn't know what to expect. I just knew that Emily's great. She's going to take care of me. So I made an appointment with her and The first appointment, totally not what I expected. She sat down and she listened to me, which is not really common practice in healthcare. She asked a lot of questions. She got my backstory. She started bringing up food and nutrition, and I was just really surprised to hear that in a PT's office. Um, She started to talk to me about how I felt about things, my emotional state, it really just seemed like a very holistic approach, which obviously I can get behind. And at a certain point, she brought Kristen into my situation, and um, Kristen started treating me with dry needling and 
really the two of them got me out of pain pretty darn quickly. And it wasn't just that they gave me a bunch of exercises to do when I was fine. It was that they helped me to restructure my brain around the whole concept of pain. So I'm really excited to get into some of that with Kristen today because I don't think it's it's stuff a lot of us know about. Um, so Dr. Kristen Zames, here's her her intro. She holds a doctorate in physical therapy from Simmons College and has specialized in the field of orthopedics and pelvic floor dysfunction for over 10 years. She has extensive advanced training through the American Physical Therapy Association for pelvic floor, bladder, bowel, and sexual dysfunction for women and men. Dr. Zames teaches annually to doctoral level students at Simmons College regarding the current concepts in women's health, obstetrics, and pelvic floor physical therapy. In the clinic, Kristen uses various methods of treatment to alleviate symptoms and help patients return to their best physical self. Movement is key. She is passionate about facilitating movement in a healthy lifestyle, and I can certainly attest to that myself. The physical aspect is important along with stress management, optimal nutrition, and emotional health. Kristen's aim is to assess the origin of the dysfunction while helping patients develop skills to improve day-to-day patterns and prevent reoccurrence. So Kristen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, All right, so you specialize in pelvic floor dysfunction. So without going anywhere else, why don't we just start at the basics? Can you tell us what the pelvic floor is? Um, How does somebody know if there's an imbalance or a dysfunction in that area? And if there is, what's what's the big deal? Why is that so important? Okay, so the the pelvic floor to me is... uh... Uh, an area that, you know, sort of is like your third arm that nobody told you about. Like, it's an area, everyone has one. It really controls bladder and bowel function, sexual function. It's just a darn shame that nobody knows what it is and that they have one and what it does. Yeah, Um, I mean, I'm a yoga teacher and I'm still like, "Um, I know it's there, I just don't know where. Well, I always, I love this story when when I talk to people about it and I said, you know, think back when we were young and you we did the song head, shoulders, knees, and toes, like shoulders and knees. Like there's a lot between the (laughs) shoulders and knees, Um, you know, a ton. Uh, So really from an early perspective, kind of culturally, we're we're taught to sort of like look away, uh, you know, don't attend to that area Um, until you're older, then it's supposed to be awesome. And when it's not, um, you know, people don't know what to do or where to go. Um, so I was a therapist that um, I've struggled with back pain throughout my life. So it kind of drove me to physical therapy um, and I treated back pain. Back pain was kind of my specialty and I liked the puzzle. I liked the challenge of it. And quickly I, I understood that, especially with women, men too, but more so with women, the pelvic floor and this whole pelvis area was a huge area that wasn't being... Um, really respected or attended to. And it was a huge element of of the dysfunction. And once I started to uh, treat the pelvic floor, which I'll tell you more about in a second, I I felt much more successful. I felt like, yeah, this was the elephant in the room that no one was talking about. Um, So the pelvic floor is a a group of muscles that's sort of at the seat of your, I'm gonna air quote core. but it really uh, um, 
is a, is a complex system. It's very much tied to the diaphragm, which is your breathing muscle um, from a connective tissue standpoint. Um, and, it, and it helps control the support of your internal organs, but it, it also is uh, fundamental in um, continence. So peeing when you want to pee, not peeing when you don't want to pee. Um, and the same thing with bowels. Um, and sexual function. So um, it's a pretty darn important thing, and people do not like when it doesn't work well because it is not cool to not be able to hold bladder or bowel and, um, and use it how you want to use it. That's super important. Can mm-hmm. I ask you a, a question that kind of goes right along with that? Does pelvic floor tension, I don't know if that's what you would call it, but pelvic floor tension and constipation go hand in hand? Because I have a lot of clients that struggle with constipation. Oh, yeah. Um, so it, it, for, for constipation, the, um, the, the sphincter muscles in the pelvic floor has to relax and stay relaxed for proper evacuation. And the way your hips function, um, the position that you are on the toilet, which um, that's why the squatty potty is so awesome, because toilets kind of actually screw up the the natural squatting position of of toileting and when the natural position is screwed up the muscles are actually um not not optimally functioning then then you don't poop well um and so it creates muscle tension when they're not working well um i can trace it back to also uh the way we don't work well we're so sedentary sitting at computers our hips don't function the way they really should you know, if we were out there like chopping wood all day, I think we'd all be pooping a lot better too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to put that in people's uh, care plans from here. Yeah, right exactly. Just and chop some wood. <laughs> if you could chop wood. Um, there's, you, you said core in air quotes. So I want to touch upon that a little bit. Um, if, you know, if you take, have taken any type of fitness class, whether it's yoga bar or something else, I'm sure you've heard engage your core right that cue which always makes me cringe because it's like it's not like a muscle that you just engage but can you talk a little bit about how this concept of core stability might be a little over emphasized in I don't know if it is in PT but it definitely is in the fitness world I kind of feel like people are constantly gripping and tightening and we carry a lot of tension in our abdomen I just taught a workshop yesterday and I had people do something like lay on a blanket so they could feel just how much tension is in their their midsection. Um, and I wonder if we've sort of lost the ability to relax our bellies and if that has anything to do with the pelvic floor. Oh, 100%. So um, when I see that same tension, I know their pelvic floor is not functioning dynamically like it should. So the pelvic floor, similar to the belly, it should expand and, and contract. And not so, not always voluntarily, but you do have voluntary control over it. So if you see someone that tries to breathe and they breathe through the upper chest and their belly doesn't open at all, I, I know that their pelvic floor likely is, is doing the same dysfunctional pattern. Um, and, and then they're likely in my office because that dysfunctional pattern pelvic floor tension is preventing them from having intercourse or it's creating urinary dysfunction or constipation is another one. Uh, urinary urgency, which means that, you know, you kind of like go or go frequently. So there's a whole slew of issues that can happen with pelvic floor tension. And I have to say that, I mean, this is a total arbitrary number, but I'd say nine out of 10 
patients that come through my door have pelvic floor tension and not weakness. So the fact that everybody's out there saying Kegel till the cows come home is like makes all pelvic floor therapists cringe. Um, so I think of the same thing with the core stability. You should not be gripping. It should, the core, you know, the core is a concept basically that there's these little tiny muscles from the base of your pelvic floor to the top of your neck, really along the spine that are really meant for postural endurance control. So you shouldn't have to voluntarily, you know, squeeze your muscle between your two of your vertebrae. Um, and, and when fitness professionals are, you know, I, I have to say that, that it's not just fitness professionals. I mean, you hear those words all the time, which, which makes me cringe as well. But I, I was taught the bracing concept in PT school. So I think it's a, it's a whole new, um, you know, sort of shift that has to happen. So if you're bracing your core, if you're squeezing your, your lower abdominals, one, you're probably doing a lot of it wrong. So you're squeezing your butt and you're squeezing sort of those six pack muscles and you're tilting your pelvis, which really is not the ideal position for us to engage our muscles in. Um, so people think they're bracing their core and they're really causing a lot of tension in their pelvic floor and, and the mechanics sort of all the way up the, the chain, as we call it, um, are, are probably equally as screwy. Um, so I, what I do a lot in our practice is, is helping people identify what the, again, air quotes, core, because there isn't really a core. There's a lot of muscles that should act automatically to support your posture. Um, but I'd retrain them. So the pelvic floor and the breath, if you can find your pelvic floor, if you can breathe and let your belly relax and let your pelvic floor relax and then exhale and slightly draw it all in together, um, you're, you're on your way. Um, but this is a huge feat for a lot of people. And I, I can spend a couple months depending on the person just getting these concepts down. And I know we've reviewed some of these concepts um, and you know, like you're saying, and it's, it's still fuzzy. So it's hard when, when you don't know what this area is, when it's head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And I'm saying, let's focus on that whole area between the shoulders and knees. Yeah, we just jumped right over that. Um, you, do teach, you do teach classes at your, I mean, group classes at Oceanside about um, engaging the core, relaxing the core, the pelvic floor. Tell us a little bit about the classes because that might be, if, if folks are listening and like, yeah, this sounds like me, they, they should probably come see you. In, or at yeah, least come yeah. See and, class. and um, you know, women especially, we have a lot of barriers but I, to, to accessing healthcare. So um, one, of the, one of the classes I teach, um, I've named it a couple different things, but basically it's from breath to function. So it's an awareness class. The way I look at it is I'm teaching people the ABCs of reading. It shouldn't be so challenging and thoughtful in the beginning, or, or eventually rather, but in the beginning it is to create some awareness. So I'm teaching where is your pelvic floor? Do you feel it go up and down? Do you feel those belly muscles? Do you feel what your rib cage is doing? And then we slowly move towards various exercises, function, how you're moving. Uh, movement is a very complex um, 
there's rotation, there's reaching, your hips are doing one thing, every quadrant of your arm and legs are doing something different. So what I try to do is build conceptual awareness. So you can take these concepts and go to your fitness class and you can take these concepts and um, do any exercise program and, and work around the house and, and just move. I'm, I'm trying to teach you how to move. I think that uh, these should be more automatic functions but the the automatic nature of it left uh quite some time um i think school is unfortunately where it it starts to go where kids just sit a lot of the day and then i think for women those those lovely children that we have um also can can partake and uh is screwing some of our, our systems up <laughs> they screw so much up as it would they turn do. i mean they're cute but <laughs> thank but really. god for that <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got like this crazy go, go, go lifestyle where we're super busy. We don't take the time to breathe. We've got a sedentary lifestyle where we're really not moving our bodies as we should. Um, so that can certainly contribute to the, the tension we're experiencing. But there's one thing that is in on your website that I want to read for folks. Um, and it says, Kristen treats every person as a whole and believes that each body tells a story. One that begins early in life where certain patterns develop, which continue through the many stages in life, creating abnormal mechanics and resulting in injury. And one thing that this calls to mind for me is the, the emotion or the trauma that we might hold onto on a physical level within the body. And I wonder how much of that contributes to the tension that we're experiencing in our bellies and our core and our pelvic floor all of it i mean i'm kind of thinking of the current or the the recent me too movement where women are crawling out of the woodwork saying like yeah i've experienced sexual abuse and like how does this translate to how we keep ourselves guarded i mean i think that's so there's so many factors that play into it but i i think that conversation can't be overlooked and do you see women holding on to trauma like physically in their bodies Oh yeah. So if I see a lot of women that have had experienced sexual trauma, but um, even if it's not, um, you know, a sexual attack, like a, 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 that type of trauma, I, I think a lot of women are traumatized by, by messages and our culture and feeling of shame. So, I mean, if you just think about how, how you feel when you sit and you cross your legs and you slump and you put your arms across your stomach, and you hang your head. Um, that's a very sad, shameful, um, not empowered physical position. It will make you feel that way. And likewise, if somebody comes in and they're postured that way, I know that their brain is not in this very confident, empowered, uh, dynamic state. And so I am not doing anybody a, um, a service if I just say, here are these exercises because I think these are the muscles that are weak. I, I know now that it is a much more complicated system. So um, if, I don't, if I don't incorporate all of that, I know we're not going to get where both of us want, want the, the person to be. So um, I, I think their story is a, is a huge piece of the, the physical positioning from a very mechanical standpoint, but I can get into a lot of details on, from a brain perspective on how there's um, up and down sort of translation. Um, uh, you know, if I sat that way for a certain amount of time, I could literally make myself more depressed from a brain perspective. 
And so if I'm asking somebody to release their tension in their stomach or release their tension in their pelvic floor and they start crying, um, that makes perfect sense because emotional trauma is captured um, in the physical system and the other way around as well. So I just think of all the women who are here with even, you know, I have women that have had eating disorders in the past. Um, and then I'm asking them to relax their belly and relax their pelvic floor. And very quickly, feelings of, um, uh, you know, thinking, well, I need to hold my stomach in. I need to, I need to look a certain way. Um, and that's been driven into them for a long, long time. And so me just saying, well, this is how you have to poop, or this is, this is how you relax your muscle, this is how your pain's gonna go away. Um, I, it has to be part of that emotional state. Um, and so, so often I'll tie a word to it. So if they're relaxing their belly, and they've, let's say they've had a trauma in the past that that's a really guarded safe, right now it's safe, even though it's creating muscle dysfunction, we need to tie a safe word to it. So there needs to be some visualization or some um, you know, empowerment. So when they're relaxing their belly, they actually feel, say, light or um, there has to be something positive. So that sensation cannot be perceived as negative in the body or the brain or else there's ne it's never going to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you keep you keep talking about the brain. Right. So I think that that let's talk about that a little bit more. Now, I know that. Yeah you see a lot of folks with chronic pain, whether that's pelvic pain um, or, you know, or something else. I had uh, chronic joint pain for probably about four years or more. I had SI joint pain too for a lot longer than that. So that's low back pain for those of you guys who don't know. But um, I remember, this is something that, that really stuck out in my head. When we were teaching the gut workshop a couple of months back, um, you said that pain is a decision the brain makes. And so, I was curious what that kind of, you know, what that means and what does the brain have to do with it? Um, I'm curious if you can explain this a little bit and also explain how that's different than telling somebody what they're feeling and what they're experiencing is all in their head. Because I think that we've heard that, especially as women, we hear that a lot. I got that message most of my life, like nothing's wrong with you, you're fine, it's all in your head. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what pain has to do with the brain? Yes, everything. It is. Okay. Um, so there we go. Um, so the more I have investigated, you know, I'm not a person who does well when somebody doesn't feel better. So I am, you know, I'm constantly reading and, and trying to figure things out. Um, the brain and the research of the brain from uh, neuroscience, rather, in the last so five, 10 years have made significant advances because of real-time functional brain imaging. So really, we can sort of see what's happening in the brain as somebody's experiencing pain, as somebody's experiencing grief. And this has really changed our understanding of the brain. So sort of the old concept is the brain records events that certain parts of the brain are for emotion or sight or vision um, and that it, the brain is a recorder and that our consciousness is sort of what we remember. 
Um, but that's not true. So the brain is actually much more complicated. The brain is is um, kind of the creator. It create and what you know is really only the conscious aspects. But the brain the brain takes in input. It's kind of this supercomputer orchestra. It takes in input. It assembles, edits, and assigns significance based on all those inputs. So this is to me this is this is groundbreaking because this changes everything. It changes how our experiences are. It really says that, look, your version of consciousness, your version of what you think is accurate is your perception. We're, we all live in these little bubbles of our own reality interacting with each other. Um, and that has led me to understand how I treat differently, how I um, how pain is, is part of this brain aspect. Um, so let me tell you a story. I, 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 this is a story I often tell just to sort of drive in this point of, of the brain. So Halloween, right? Halloween is a, is a holiday-ish in the States. Um, and it's perceived very differently by different people. So if, you're, if your past says Halloween has been so fun, it was a time when I was a kid where we laughed and got candy and gosh, it was just like one of the most fun days. Um, then when you're walking down the street in a, on trick-or-treating night, you see everything differently. The, the jack-o'-lantern looks funny and silly. Um, people are laughing versus if you have you know some baseline anxiety you don't like scary things it seems dark to you uh you you haven't had a lot of fun on halloween when you're walking down the street that same jack-o'-lantern looks freaky and scary the per people coming toward you look more aggressive um it, it changes and that th so the accurate recording isn't really what's happening it's it's the interpretation of the brain um, does that make sense? Am I yeah, I was sense? totally seeing some like bad acid trip with like all these <laughs> Tim Burton-esque thick creatures yeah. coming at me. But yeah, I can totally see how, how <laughs> your perception completely dictates your reality. Yeah, I um, always think of, I don't know if you've seen the movie Wonder. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so it's he um, loves Halloween because he gets to wear. It's a, a kid that has grown up with a, a facial facial um, disfiguration, so his whole life has been, you know, how he interacts with kids, and um, it's been very challenging. So Halloween is a night where he's seen as um, it's the best night for him. He wears costumes. He's just like any other kid. He walks around. He's everybody's laughing. Um, and for, for him, like when his experience, Halloween is such a different experience than someone who might not like it. And, and literally they see different things. They, their, their versions of reality are in fact different. And if you think of you know, just one jack-o'-lantern with the same face, each one of them see it differently on a deeper level. Okay, um, so to pull it back to pain, um, yeah. The pain, there, like the pain, is real. People are really uh, yeah. experiencing. Yeah, hundred percent. All pain is real. All pain is real. So, um, but if you think of what is driving the pain, so the pain, just like the the brain, is not really a recorder of accurate, you know, events accurately. Um, the the brain does not just say, oh, hey, something's there's a tissue being damaged, and that's what causes pain. Um, the brain is a is a threat perception, so um, or causes a threat perception. So, 
just the way that somebody said, ooh, that's scary or that's fun, pain is sort of on the same level as more of those emotional, like I feel love, I feel sadness. Pain is in the same category that those emotions would be. It's a very complex, you know, orchestra. And so the, pain, the brain actually makes a decision that there's a credible threat in the body. So for example, if you touch a, a stove and, and it's hot and you're getting burned, well, there's inflammation, there's stimulus that creates an awareness in the brain of like, hey, something's happening here, there's inflammation, maybe there's some damage. Um, but also what your eyes are seeing is that my hand is on something hot um, and there's a temperature change. So there's a lot of input that goes into the brain's decision to say, pain, please move your arm, you are getting burned. So that is a very um, fundamental protection. So pain is really healthy, you need pain. Those who don't feel pain um, do not have an easy time in life. So pain is a very important um, aspect of our protection. Where it goes awry is in chronic pain, persistent pain. So um, in that same person who burned their hand, they would feel pain maybe for uh, you know seven to 10 days if it was a bad enough burn, maybe it would only be 24 hours. Either way, the tissue damage is still there, but the pain goes away because they're no longer in a state of threat. Now, if that pain persisted, if you still have pain in your finger four months later, that's not normal. So if really acute tissue damage can, it should be healed in about 12 to 16 weeks. And we're talking about disc injuries, we're talking about ligamentous injuries, so a lot of complex injuries. But the messages we get um, really kind of muddy the waters here. And so if you have pain past that initial acute tissue injury, something's gone awry. Your brain continues to make the decision that there's a threat to your body and pain is the appropriate response because something needs to change. Um, so I, I have a story about um, a woman that I work with actually that, that helps kind of um, does this, this cool concept called the 4D wheel, um, which, which kind of helps tease out all of these aspects in the brain. Um, so she was asking me about this. So she said, okay, so I went to the doctor. I had slipped discs. I had three slipped discs. I was told to rest um, and that I have to be careful. Just like you said, I can't do yoga because I have this. I can't do this. So there's a lot of fear in that, that message. You go to the providers and maybe you're like you are, you're diagnosed with these quote unquote syndromes. Um, but and then you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm damaged. I have something wrong with me. Um, and there's a lot of fear. So those messages are going into your brain's decision to continue to say, hey, something's not right here. I'm in a threatened um, state. So I'm going to continue to sort of perceive danger. And when there's danger in my body, whether it's from a mental message, um, a diagnosis, or tissue injury, that decision of pain continues to be kind of the output or the decision of the brain. So my friend Sage, that, that same position, she goes to the doctor, the doctor tells her, oh, you have these issues. And I said to her, well, how do you know that you had slipped discs? And she said, well, the doctor said I did. I said, but um, what was going on with your life at the time? She said, oh, my mother was dying at that time. I was extremely stressed out. I said, so what if the decision of your brain was, hey, something's wrong in my body, something's majorly wrong. 
Um, but it wasn't just the tissue injury in your back that was that was happening. It was that along with I'm extremely stressed. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. Your all of the the systems were were not functioning well, and so your brain said, "Hey, pain. We're gonna stop this in its track." And that was that was what happened. What if you went to the provider and they said, "What's going on in your life right now? There, you seem to be in a threatened state." So if you, the, the decision of the healthcare system was to address the threatened state on, a, on multiple levels, so how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Um, how are you moving? You need to move in a certain way with, and not provide fear and diagnosis, which makes you feel dysfunctional. I think the outcome would have been very different. So for me, the brain is a huge element in pain. It is the piece that has to be respected. Tissue injury is just one element of the brain's decision to have pain, especially when it is in a persistent state, more so than like a broken bone, an ankle sprain, a burn, that type of thing. That is so spot on about the messages that we, we get. They really do influence pain. I I mean, even just you said, you made the switch. You said chronic pain, persistent pain. Yeah, even yeah. that, it's like chronic pain, it's like, well, you've got it for life versus persistent pain. It's like, all right, you know, this, this, this is, is something, this, yeah, this is something can, that is persisting, but I can... I can, you know, do something about it. Yeah. Um, this makes a lot of sense, too, why when, the first time I met with Emily, maybe the first or second time I met with her, she told me, she said, this pain is not harmful. And I didn't realize it, the connection at the time, but just for me, just understanding that pain is separate from tissue damage completely helped to decrease my pain. Just that, like, just that thought alone. Like, I'm like, oh, my body isn't attacking itself. I'm safe. I'm okay. And honestly, Kristen, that decreased my pain 70 to 80%. Like right? that significantly. And I, like I said, I've been dealing with pain for years. So just making that shift in my brain, like really did make that, that big of a difference. Um, yeah. What, I mean, if you keep going to the doctor and they keep saying, hmm, where is this pain? What's it coming from? They're reinforcing that same message of something's wrong with you rather than saying, you're in a state of threat. This is not tissue injury. Can carry on, move through, think of this differently. It's a huge fundamental shift that, that is, it's, it's, it's everything to me. And if, you know, fee, fear, stress, anxiety really feeds this whole pain loop. And so many of us are running around like with fear, with anxiety, with major amounts of stress. No wonder why chronic pain is such a huge issue in this culture. Oh, I mean, yeah. No surprise there. And I, I don't get, so why don't more people know about this and why isn't this being practiced more? It seems like the only available intervention for people is surgery or medication. And there's very little education, if any. Um, we have this idea that like we need to go to the expert in order for us to be fixed. It's almost the same message we get from diet culture, right? Like you can't do this on your own. You need to go to the guru. You need to go to the expert. You need to go to the doctor. They will tell you what to do. They will fix you because you're broken and you need to be fixed. It's the same freaking message. Um, so what what's going on with the current model of care and what needs to change? Well, our entire healthcare system needs to change. Oh, no big deal. No big whoop. No big deal. Um, yeah, it's 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 backwards. It's we're you know I think a lot of it stemmed from um, our sort of litigious culture that specializes everybody, but insurance reimbursement. Um, so we have all these specializations, and everybody has this little box, and and then 
patients think, I don't even know where what box I fit in. So you spend a lot of time going to all these different um, specialties, trying to have them fit in your box. Um, and, and, they, and you don't always. I mean, most people don't. So this is why I see people 12 years later and they said, or four years later, I've, I've had this pain for so, so many years and I've seen all these people. Um, so I, I just think the, the whole concept's backwards. Now, I'm not blaming um, anybody. I think that all of our educations, our, our Western medicine education, is really rooted in, acute, in the acute model. So it's based on medication and surgery. Um, and then sort of if you don't fall into that category, you fall into mental illness, which is our a cultural problem, um, really rather than understanding it. And then I think providers are under such um, productivity standards that they don't have two seconds to even talk to somebody or think or even learn new information because it's all about the dollar, you know, and it's just like they just have to keep keep seeing people every 10 minutes um, and, and you just don't have time, which is, I've been lucky because I think with our practice, we're able to you know, sit with somebody for an hour. We're in a real position to say, okay, tell me about it. And then we get to pick up on other things. Oh, that, um, you know, for example, if somebody tells me, I don't really feel this area. And then I start to say, tell me more about that. And then, you know, it's the first time they told anybody about uh, a sexual abuse encounter that they that they had when they were, you know, 18. Um, yeah, and it's still a big piece of their puzzle. So, you know, th those are important steps and, and our current healthcare model does not support that at all. It needs to be integrated, it needs to be really more collaborative, and that takes time. And so until, you know, insurance systems or, or you know, other creative solutions are here to support that and pay providers, for their time, um, I, I don't, I don't know how it's going to change. Yeah, I remember the first time that I was actually listened to by a practitioner, and I like, I just cried because I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I've been waiting for thirty-one years for somebody to just pay attention to me and listen to me. It's such, such a game changer. I think there's such healing in that, um, and a lot of what you do is root cause resolution it's it's taking the time to investigate what's really going on what's happening what's causing this what's the underlying imbalance versus saying oh, okay that's the symptom we're gonna we're gonna treat that right um and that's obviously what i do as a functional nutritionist and i think a lot of us that are really looking to affect greater change and more sustainable change are moving toward that integrated model um what do you see as barriers to to that integrated model? What do you see as like a roadblock and how do we overcome that? So I think uh, a huge barrier is the, the payment structure. It's the insurance system. So um, I think that's the primary. I mean, if, if it was uh, turned around and, and people were given some autonomy in how they drove their health care, it, it would be a game changer. Um, so I, I think the the insurance systems are a huge piece of it. But but culturally, I think that um, there's a there's a couple aspects that really could change. I mean, right now, you know, in our culture, it's kind of um, a weakness to sort of seek care. I think women especially fall into this category where self care is seen as selfish rather than um, helpful. So I, I think looking at caring for yourself um, as a way to sort of feed, whether it's good nutrition or good movement or even just being aware of what you need 
that is not selfish. And I think that's a, that's a huge cultural barrier that we're up against. Um, so that and payment, but I think to what to do about it, I, I, you know, I think that's, this is why more practices are, are trying to collaborate and becoming, um, integrated. However, I think there's a real barrier with the payment because I, like our practice, we just had to, um, um, go out of network with a couple providers because they just, they just don't support what we're doing. And, um, that's a really hard place to be. That's a real frustrating thing for me because I want, I want everybody to be able to get this care, not, not just those who can afford it. Um, but right now it's at a real breaking point. And until uh, people, patients, really start seeing that they don't have what they need available to them and start speaking up, it's not going to change. But I do think we're at a tipping point. I, I really feel positive about the change that's going to happen because we're in such a bad state. Um, so one thing I, I started developing is a, um, is a consulting model that is based on these neuroscience principles. And I think one area that could possibly, um, you know, sort of be an innovator and in change is the corporations, because I'm not going to wait for um, these big insurance companies or, or the government to really have this trickle down. But each individual company, may have a little bit more creativity to alter their insurance networks and then provide something that's a little bit more along these lines. I mean, imagine if you were supported by your company and you had, you know, a thousand bucks that you developed your own plan so that maybe, you know, you could see a, a, a nutritionist of your, of your liking, you could go to a naturopath, you could maybe get a massage every other month, whatever it was for you that you thought drove your care. Um, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, we were talking about before the show started how that's so different. Just like you were saying, it's so different for everybody. My kind of um, care plan is going to look very different than your care plan, than Sally's, than Jane's, right? It's, yeah. it's so it's so um, it's so individual. I had somebody, uh, a listener, write in about Fitbits and Apple watches and what and how challenging they are for her because it just creates this stressful situation. Whereas my husband, for example, uses an Apple watch strictly for fitness and he loves it and it's so motivating for him and it's, he loves having that feedback for somebody else. It could be a complete disaster, right? I would hate to have that on my, on my arm every day. So to, for somebody to like go into a company and be like, okay, we're going to track our steps every day, everybody. Like that's not going to work for everybody. So no, not we, at all. We need, it's all about individual plans and I don't know. It's just, it's more like the culture is more like blanket statement. Like, ah, oh, okay, everybody do this. And that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. And, and the brain science, the neuroscience, I can tell you study after study that proves why it doesn't work and, and why the reverse will work. So if you're able to design your plan based on your own sort of Halloween story, based on your version of reality, then you're going to be more motivated. You're going to be likely to do it because it is based on your brain, your story. Um, you can, which is the same thing when you go to a provider. You, you can't come to, say you came to physical therapy and I said, oh, I know what's wrong with you. Here's what's wrong. And here's the three things that you need to do. Again, the, the, you're being told what to do. It's um, versus if you came and said, and I said, okay, here's what I think is going on. What do you think? Did I miss anything? Um, what do you want to be able to do? How can I help you? 
oh, yoga's you're important to you? Okay, let's talk about how to do this and get back to yoga. So if I do it that way versus here's a, you know, a bridge and, um, you know, two other exercises with a band, it doesn't translate to your story. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge piece of it. Yeah. That's pretty much what you guys did. I'm like, I'm missing yoga. And you're like, all right, we're going to get you, get you back there like that. You just listened to me and responded accordingly, which is like shocking. So (laughs) (laughs) it shouldn't be shocking. (laughs) Um, okay. So there was one question that I wanted to ask and it doesn't really tie into anything that we're talking about, or maybe it does because I'm coming into your, we've been working collaboratively for a little while now and I'm going to start taking some clients, nutrition clients at Oceanside Physical Therapy because we are looking to move into that more integrated approach, right? But where do you, so I see it from a certain side as a nutritionist, but where do you see it as a physical therapist? Why does nutrition matter? Like, where does it fit into the whole, to the whole program? Yeah, for me, it's huge because um, a, a good nutritious system or a good, a good system supports a healthy nervous system. So if your nervous system is healthy, you're going to switch out of that acute pain you won't go into persistent pain. So there won't be a baseline level of inflammation that might be giving your brain danger messages. And then, you know, so somebody pinches you and you're, it actually hurts more or the brain makes a decision for pain quicker because you have IBS. Um, so th- those connections I see all the time. I see a connection with nutrition and gut inflammation and hormonal balance and immunity. And so, um, and I, I was at a conference uh, a pelvic pain conference um, this in DC recently, and study after study, a neuroscientist got up there, and all they talked about was it sort of came back to and you know GI inflammation or uh, neuroimmunity being connected. It was all like all these things were connected, and they were sort of um, baffled that one pill couldn't fix all of this, <laughs> um, which was like, yeah, that's what we've been saying. Um, so I, I think there's just so many people with an underlying, you know, our nutrition isn't good. School nutrition is awful, you know, like, so they're coming into me and in kind of a, an inflamed danger state. And I think that a lot of that starts with the gut. So if somebody comes into me and they're saying, well, well I've, you know, my bowel movements are regular and I, um, I eat, you know, quote unquote clean and I, I feel really good, um, energy levels. Um, I, I rarely get sick, that type of person, but I have this like gnawing thing. That gnawing thing is a lot easier to treat on a a sort of a baseline nutritious, healthy nervous system than if they were in a very inflamed state. Um, and I think you'll probably attest to that because um, you were actually quite easy to treat. Yeah, that probably it does explain why I was like one session. I walked out. I'm like, 80 percent of my pain is gone. This is yeah. hilarious. <laughs> we were like, great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, diet, we say it all the time. Diet really is that low hanging fruit. Like if you can manipulate your diet, if you can change your food and get good results, well, that's phenomenal. That's, you know, that's such an important place to start. Um, and it really does, it really does make such a huge impact on the flip side of that. And what I've sent clients to you, because if I've been working with somebody and we've tweaked their food and they're still experiencing their, this chronic pain, it needs to go deeper, right? And they need to change their story about pain in their head. And that's where I think you come in. So it really kind of goes both ways. Um, one thing I want to 
announced to everybody is that we're going to be doing the last gut workshop we taught was sold out standing room only so we're offering another one at oceanside it's going to be on january 27th that's a saturday and so if you guys are interested in hearing more about this connection and there is a really strong connection between gut health and pain gut health in pelvic floor dysfunction gut health and really anything the the easiest way I can describe Depression, it. anxiety. All of it. I mean, all of it. If if there is inflammation at the lining of the gut, if there is an immune response at the gut, then that inflammation and or immune response can travel anywhere in the body. That's why brain fog is linked to gut health. Eczema is linked to gut health. Pain well, during sex linked to gut health. All of it. You know, you can kind of see where I'm going here. It really impacts the entire overall body. And so... Um, I'm looking forward to to leading that that workshop again because I think it's a real eye opener for a lot of people to start to connect the dots. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's I mean, like I said, if if it can be kind of this collaborative approach where we work on a, some things, then the nutrition is is sort of becoming more robust. I think the the pathway is um, much much easier. It's a much quicker time to recovery for sure. All right, cool. Well, do you have any, let, why don't you tell people where they can find you, what, um, any programs or projects you have coming up, anything you want to close out with? Yeah, if you're in the area, I mean, Oceanside Physical Therapy, we have four brilliant therapists and we are all very versed in the, the pain cycle brain. Um, you know, if you're, if you've been struggling with, with a condition, you feel like you haven't been listened to, um, you know, not only can we see if, if we can help you, but we can help be advocates for you in this, this crazy system. So, uh, we have classes, we do, you know, kind of unique classes. I do the, the class I talked about, we do a restorative yoga that's really geared toward the central nervous system and the pelvic floor. Wait, time out on that because you just <laughs> sent a video out yesterday that I was like, everybody in the world needs to see this. It was only a minute, but you, what you said was so bang on. Can you just talk about why somebody needs to try restorative yoga? Okay. Restorative yoga, you know, people think, well, it's, I'm just laying there. I'm not burning calories, um, which is just, it's like the cultural message that we've been drilled. It's, it's just, it's just backwards. If you can reset your nervous system, if you can learn to, um, you know, be aware of your body and breathe and slow your brain and body down, everything works better. Your gut works better. You digest better. You're happier. You're focused all it's, it's like, it's like the foundation of, of a brain and, and body that then you can say, okay, what do I want to do to move? It's not about calories and, um, and, and vanity, honestly, like it's, it's, it's about what makes you happy and moving. And when you do all of those things together, um, you will be at an optimal weight, you will be healthy, you, you will, you know, so many things will function better. And I think that restorative yoga is, is often very hard for, for us in, in our culture. And, um, and I say, if it feels challenging, that's probably the direction you should go. Um, and, and sometimes the high intensity exercise, although I love them, I truly, that, that's like one of my favorite forms of exercise. Um, but I do know when I was in a very stressful state, kids, young business, all of that, I couldn't do that type of workout. It was too, it was honestly stressful on my body. And I was left those workouts feeling depleted and not energized. Um, 
And so if you don't know what to do, if your workouts, if you're saying, I want to do this, I want to lose weight, um, it would be an interesting um, little experiment to try restorative yoga. Actually lay there and be in your body because that's going to be the, the best way to start to retrain your brain, which is the driver of everything. Yeah, if there's like one piece of advice I could give to somebody, if, especially somebody that's looking to um, heal or you know mend their relationship to themselves, mend their relationship to their food or whatever, it's to get in your body. But that's a really scary place for a lot of people to be, and in and, and it's like a kind of like a. I don't know, like hippy dippy thing to say. It's like a very yoga teacher thing to say, right? Be in your body. And so for some people, meditation is just like an impossibility. Like I, you know, some people just can't, can't get there yet. So I kind of feel like restorative yoga is almost like a gateway drug into meditation because it really puts you in that meditative place. It also really gets you in your body. Um, and I just think it's, it's so healing and exactly what you said. I think more women need to hear that about the high intensity exercise that is a exercise is stressful to the body it's cortisol eliciting it so it makes your body produce stress hormones now that can be great for some people right that can be really great it can give you energy um it can help you build muscle but if you're already in a stress state which high like 90 percent of the people that come to me are then you don't want to do an exercise that's going to create more stress in the body that is not going to get you the results that you want and it's just going to continue to drive any health issues that you might be having so um i would completely recommend checking out the the restorative yoga um, yeah and, and this is another element say you came and you just quite weren't quite sure about this message you've been told all along i should i should you know exercise on the elliptical for 45 minutes which god that sounds awful to me um and well then let me tell you why and let's talk about different activities even though it's challenging and then you know what if you saw aaron and talked about some of the nutrition and, and how um you know the cortisol cycle like you were saying how that affects your gut i think with all of that education you start to understand that the message in your brain currently isn't really based on sound science and so understanding the really the advances in science are really fundamental to change the shift because we've been We've been dealt a, um, a deck of cards that isn't full. <laughs> They're like all twos. They're all twos, you know? <laughs> what do I do with this? This doesn't seem right. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, cool, Kristen. Well, thank you so much. That was awesome. Um, I know everyone's going to learn a ton from this show. And again, you guys, uh, come check us out. We'll be co-teaching that, that workshop on gut health um, at the end of January. And all that information will be on Kristen's website, which is... www.oceansidept.com. And we have a lot coming up this year, too. I'm doing... Um, I'm going to have some online versions of, of how to treat your pain. I have this pretty um, innovative strategy um, with that woman, Sage, I was referring to before on, on your body and brain. Um, we also have some online classes that are going to, or some classes that are going to be online. So, um, you know, stay tuned or, or at, join our newsletter so that you can be uh, informed of all of these online pieces. If, if you can't quite, if you're not local or you can't quite make it in for an appointment, there's a lot of good info that, that we could give you still. Yeah. And you guys know, I, I can't talk about Kristen and, and her gang enough. They're really doing awesome things. So if you are local, check them out. And if you're not local, 
get to the, get to the newsletter and, and sign up for some of those online courses when they arrive because it will definitely be chock full of good information. Um, all right, Kristen, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.